facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. An absolutely magnificent Monday to you. Welcome to Holy Week. It is Monday. It is April the 3rd, 2023. And so happy that you're talking to me right now. And you can talk to me directly by calling this number, 888-914-9149. That's right, 888-914-9149 is toll-free to talk to me. And you can also email the program. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Always good to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And if you did... Uh, see uh, what we posted on Twitter earlier on the Relevant Radio account and on my account as well. Uh, the great John Hanready and his incredible artistic skills. You saw that today's episode is called Jesus in Space. And yeah, Jesus did make it to space. Well, he created space, but this is something different. This is something different. As NASA announced today, the first moon mission in over 50 years. I'm going to tell you about an astronaut, true story, who brought Jesus into Space. We've got so much to talk about later. Perhaps you watched the uh, women's NCAA championship game yesterday. LSU taking down Iowa and Caitlin Clark. No relation, no relation, but uh, I'd like to think I have mad skills on the court just like her. But anyways, my, my name is spelled with an E. And uh, anyways, uh, Iowa went, uh, went down to LSU, but uh, it was an exciting game. Really an exciting moment for women's sports, women's college basketball in particular. Tonight, of course, the men's championship game goes between UConn and San Diego State. So, got a little West Coast action. If you're out in San Diego, you can call in or anywhere across the great United States and anywhere in the world. Toll free, 888-914-9149. We're going to be talking about how gambling on sports, specifically college sports, can actually put student lives maybe in danger. This is no... Uh, laughing matter at all. But before we get to any of that, we want to catch you up on what you might have missed last week. We call it the week that was on the Kale Clark Show. It's put together by producer Jim. And here you go, the week that was. I, I just love how Daniel just reads these guys the riot act. When these judges were separated from each other, he summons one of them and says to him, you old relic of wicked days, your sins have now come home, which you've committed in the past pronouncing unjust judgments, condemning the innocent, letting the guilty go free. Though the Lord said, do not put to death an innocent and righteous person. It says at the very end, then all the assembly shouted loudly and blessed God who saves those who hope in him. And they rose out against the two elders for out of their own mouths, Daniel had convicted them of bearing false witness. They did to them as they had wickedly planned to do to their neighbor. Acting in accordance with the law of Moses, they put them to death. Thus, innocent blood was saved that day. And Hilkiah and his wife praised God for their daughter, Susanna. And so did Joachim, her husband, and all her kindred, because nothing shameful was found in her. And from that day onward, Daniel had a great reputation among the people. What would you say to people? Obviously, you can go to relevantradio.com, the Relevant Radio app. People have heard about Lenten lessons, but they might be saying to themselves, Father, at this point, it's too late. Lent, Lent is already almost over. Why should I sign up for this? What, what would you say to somebody who's thinking along those lines? I would say to people, this is when I'm just about to get started for Lent. You know, so, okay, we got two weeks left. Right. Yeah, exactly. got one week left. All right. I, I can do something. All right. We're in the fourth quarter. I better start playing. All right. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's never too late to start. And um, that's all part of God's mercy. Was Mary ever tempted? You have to look at Revelation chapter 12. It's, it's interesting because in Revelation 12, there's really kind of a, 
a mirror image of Genesis chapter 3. There is the woman, there is the dragon who seeks to attack the woman. It doesn't work. So what does he do? The dragon, who's obviously the devil, goes to attack the offspring of the woman. That's you and me, the church. And so there's a woman, there is a serpent, there is the new Eve, there's also the new Adam, because the child, she gives birth to a male child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a reference to Psalm 2, a Davidic Psalm, a kingship Psalm, very important in the early church, that's Jesus Christ. There's an Adam, there's an Eve, and there's a serpent. It's the mirror image of Genesis chapter 3. And Eve, when she was first tempted in Genesis, she was a sinless virgin. She had no original sin because the original sin hadn't happened yet, but she believed the word of the evil angel. And the church father said the new Eve, Mary, believed the word of the good angel, Gabriel. She brought forth life, whereas the first Eve brought forth death by her choice, by her no. Got him from spring till fall. Got a dog and a drink and an umpire's call. What do you want? Let's play ball. So the Cubs did win today. Do the Cardinals have a song? I'm not familiar with with it with their uh, with their song. What is it if if they have one? Here comes the king. Oh. This is what you hear at opening day at Bush Stadium as the world famous Anheuser Busch Clydesdales circle okay. the perimeter of the field. Love it. There's always, there's always at least one Cinderella story. Schools talk about the Flutie effect. You all remember, of course, Boston College quarterback Doug Flutie, who threw an improbable Hail Mary pass to beat uh, the Miami Hurricanes in 1984. It's just a seminal moment in sports history in the United States. But that win for Boston College created a massive jump in applications for the school. It was a two-year effect uh, that was kind of this halo effect from the Flutie Hail Mary. And so, Lots of other schools have reported the exact same thing, a huge uptick in admissions after a great football season or a great basketball season. Hey, how about that? That was the week that was on the Kale Clark Show, featuring some incredibly poor falsetto singing uh, by my part to Go Cubs Go. Well, yikes. Um, I'll tell you what, I need to sign up for vocal lessons. But hey, if you haven't signed up for the relevant radio app, you need to do that right now. Because if you've missed any of the shows from last week or any of our fine programming, you can always get it on the relevant radio app. You can stream the podcast. You can download them. We put all of our shows up there as podcasts. Just a few minutes after the program, it's a great place to get caught up. And and that was just incredible. And yeah, the Flutie effect, Boston College and all the, uh, the rise in admissions after the great Hail Mary against Miami. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I have, I have a friend who actually is beneficiary of, of all this. Uh, he just took a job earlier this year at Florida Atlantic University in the business department, and now he's there. And what a great year to go there, my goodness. They're going to get some more students because of their great Final Four run, which ended on Saturday night. So uh, they didn't make the final, but it's going to be San Diego State against the Yukon Huskies. And no, it's not the Yukon Territories of Canada. It's the University of Connecticut. That's what we're talking about here. Well, we are now in Holy Week, folks. It is Monday of Holy Week, so what we've got to do, we've got to check in. We only have a few days left to do this. We've got to check in with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. We've got to remember our death as we're getting ready to mark the death of Jesus. We kind of did that also on Sunday 
with Passion slash Palm Sunday, the reading of the Passion uh, from Matthew's Gospel. And all the, all the readings that we're going to go through th- throughout Holy Week are kind of leading up once again uh, to the events of Good Friday and really the whole Tritium season, which is a short season, but it's the most crucial season in the church calendar. Holy Thursday, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Eucharist, and we got Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and of course, starting with the Easter Vigil, Easter Sunday, the Easter Octave commences. But we've got a long way to go before we get there, and we want to take advantage of these days. And today's gospel comes to us from uh, John chapter 12, and this is a really famous passage. It's the anointing at Bethany of our Lord, and this is where we kind of get tipped off that, as if we didn't know this already, but the things are not well with Judas Iscariot, and uh, that's for many reasons. And and I do want to say this also. Well, let me just read the passage first, then I'll tell you something. This this is a a factoid you're going to want to take note of, but uh, this is today's gospel. It's a short gospel from John chapter 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at table with him. Mary took a pound of costly ointment of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and as he had the money box, he used to take what was put into it. Jesus said, let her alone, let her keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus also to death because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, if you're Lazarus, you're thinking, oh my, I just came back from the dead. I am not in a hurry to do that again. So please don't kill me. And it's amazing. They came to see Jesus and also Lazarus, as you would expect. This is incredible. Raising Lazarus from death. It's, it's often wrongly called the resurrection of Lazarus, as we see in John chapter 11. It's not a resurrection because Lazarus was eventually going to die again. It's a resuscitation. That doesn't make it any less stupendous. It's incredible. Uh, but really, Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead in human history. And uh, that's a resurrection. He was never going to die again. And this happens in our lives as well. When, when Jesus does something incredible in our lives, people want to see it. They want to talk to us. And sometimes we're raised from the dead in another sense. We might be dead in mortal sin. And Christ can give us life again, supernatural life, restore grace to us. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we get to confession. If you need it, go get it, especially during this Holy Week. But this idea of the nard, this, this perfume, the house just filled with this, this incredible scent. 300 denarii, this is, this is about a year's wages. This is a lot of money. And Judas is like, why are you wasting the money? It could have been given to the poor. Of course, he didn't really mean that. He used to help himself to the money bag. He was kind of the the chief accounting officer, if you will, of the the apostolic enterprise. And uh, yeah, he was uh, unfortunately pretty unethical, as we know. Uh, And he winds up betraying Jesus for far, far less than that, for only 30 pieces of silver. How, How despicable. I want to tell you this, tomorrow on the Faith Explained show, 1230 Central, only here on Relevant Radio, 
tomorrow and the next day, Tuesday and Wednesday of Holy Week. This is a special mini-series that we're going to do on Judas. Judas inside and outside the Bible, because so many people are curious about the one who betrayed Jesus. How, how is it possible that Jesus could have selected this guy after spending a night in prayer? How, how could he pick this guy as one of the apostles? Where did he come from? Uh, why did he do what he did? There's so many theories on why he betrayed Jesus. I'm going to get into all of that. Where is he now? <laughs> Some people think, you know, maybe he, maybe he somehow was saved in the afterlife. I, whew, I don't know about that, but we'll, we'll get into all that. And I say, this, these are things we could talk about from within the Bible, but what about outside the Bible? You might have heard about in the media over the last several years a document that was discovered through archaeology, it was called the Gospel of Judas. It made quite a splash in the media when it was discovered. And so, do we learn anything more about Judas from this? What is this document all about? In fact, this tries to paint Judas as some sort of a hero who was actually kind of helping Jesus along in his mission. We'll deal with all that on The Faith Explained over the next couple of days in this mini-series, Judas Outside and Inside the Bible. Hey Judas, I guess you could call it. We might even play that Beatles song, Hey Jude. And by the way, the name Jude is Judas. There is another apostle named Jude. As you might imagine, he didn't want to be known as Judas after what happened. Let's just call me Jude. Let's, let's just, just, just call me Jude. Just trust me on this one. Uh, but it's the same name, and, and we'll explain all that too. So check out The Faith Explained tomorrow, 1230 Central on Relevant Radio, or check the podcast. But in terms of this passage from John chapter 12, uh, just a couple of quick remarks. We In this Memento Mori devotional, which means remember your death in Latin, a uh, great Lenten devotional by Sister Teresa Althea Noble, one of the daughters of St. Paul, she talked about the anointing at, at Bethany. And it's really amazing because as Jesus says, now this is in Matthew's version, not, not the one we saw from John, but Jesus says to Mary, Amen, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done this anointing of Jesus will be spoken of in memory of her. And how true that is. We, we're still talking about it today. And as Sister Teresa says, it is a really nice turn of phrase. She says, the power of this intimate moment permeates all of history with its sweet perfume. So one of the things that we have to understand is that in, in the Old Covenant, there were three groups of people that were the anointed ones, priests, prophets, and kings. Now we saw, and we just got we just got finished with the Exodus series on the Faith Explained. So again, this is you can go to the podcast archives on relevantradio.com, the Relevant Radio app, and you can go through the Exodus series. We saw that Moses set up his brother Aaron to be really the the first priest of Israel, and then Aaron's sons were also anointed as well. You can see this in Exodus chapter twenty-eight. David got anointed as king of Israel later on in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 16. The prophet Samuel says, oh, he goes to Jesse and says, no, no, not this guy, not that guy, not that guy. No, it's David. He's the guy that God, the guy you were least expecting. He's the one after God's own heart. He's the one that God wants to be king. Prophets. Well, of course, Elijah, he anointed his successor, Elisha, as prophet before he went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. You can read about that in 1 Samuel. In the first book of Kings, chapter 19. And now we have kind of a different kind of anointing. Now, Jesus is all of those things in his one person. He is prophet, priest, and king, all rolled into one in his one divine person. But but that's not really what this anointing was all about. This anointing is for his burial. 
because he, he never got the burial anointing. By the time the women come to the tomb, they want to anoint his body after he's uh, been killed, after he's buried. He's already risen from the dead. So it kind of happens ahead of time here. And so uh, this is what Sister Teresa says about this. She says, quote, Mary's act of anointing testifies to Jesus's divinity and also foreshadows his resurrection. When Judas Iscariot criticizes Mary for extravagantly wasting costly oil, Jesus defends her by arguing that the anointing is for his burial. However, Jesus in his divinity already knew his dead body would never be anointed and that this anointing would be seen as a sign of his incorruptibility in retrospect. Unlike all previous priests, all previous prophets, all previous kings, the Son of God was only anointed in life, not in death, because Jesus would rise to new life before the women could get to the tomb to anoint his body. Thus, Mary anoints a living body instead of a dead one, the living body of Christ. That's a great quote from Sister Teresa. Now, here's how it applies to us. You might be thinking, okay, I'm reading this. What does this have to do with me today in 2023? Well, Sister Teresa reminds us that we also are anointed ones because we were anointed with the Holy Spirit through our baptism. And so, kind of like Jesus didn't have to get this death anointing because he was going to rise again, the same thing is going to happen to us. We will be resurrected one day. And it's going to happen to everybody, even the people that aren't going to make it to heaven. And that's a great tragedy. It's the greatest tragedy you could ever imagine. The Catechism talks about People who are baptized, they have this indelible mark on their souls that don't make it to heaven because they freely choose to turn away from God. They commit mortal sins. They don't turn back to God. They don't ask for forgiveness. And they wind up being separated from God for all eternity. That's the tragedy. Uh, The great drama of human existence is that our choices really matter every day. And so this devotional that she has, Remember Your Death, she kind of reminds us of that once again, as you might expect. She says that, look, physical death the separation of our bodies and souls, it's only temporary. And every day we can think about that. It it might sound morbid, but it's really not because this is for our ultimate eternal good. We can call to mind the last moment of our lives when we'll take our last breath. And when we do that, we have to remember that Jesus has power even over that moment. We can turn to him and we're not going to disappear into oblivion. Just as we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit at our baptism, we can be confident Death is not the last page in our story. And then at the end, she likes to put in a little quote from one of the church fathers, and she's got a little quote here by St. Augustine. And St. Augustine, again, if you want to read any of the church fathers, he's a good one to read because he's such a great preacher. Dr. Matthew Levering, a friend of the program, he told me, look, something that all Catholics can do even now, just go online, read the homilies of St. Augustine. They're still fresh even today. And this is what St. Augustine said about this passage. He said, Quote, whoever wishes to be truly faithful, anoint the feet of the Lord with, with precious ointment like Mary. Well, how do you do that? He, he goes on to say, anoint the feet of Jesus. You can follow in the Lord's footsteps by living a good life. That's how you anoint the feet of Jesus. You can wipe his feet with your hair. <laughs> you might not have long hair. You, you might not have any hair. Does, what, what, here's what, how you can do it. If you have a surplus because the hair is, in, in a sense, superfluous to the body. I mean, it's, it's, it's decorative. It's a bit of an adornment, especially uh, for ladies. Uh, lovely long hair. Well, it is. you don't really need it to survive, but it's nice to have. The hair is kind of superfluous to the body. But sometimes we have things that are kind of superfluous to us, and we don't really need them, but we can give them to the poor. 
And if we sort of give our quote-unquote hair, if you will, what our surplus to the poor, we have an, also we've kind of we've kind of wiped the feet of the Lord. We have that's good preaching by Saint Augustine. I I love this. He says you've got something to spare of your abundance. It might be superfluous to you, but it's necessary for the feet of the Lord. It's necessary for the feet of the Lord. Those who live wickedly and bear and bear the name of Christians do injury to Jesus Christ. Of them, it is said that through them, the name of the Lord is blasphemed. Well, if through such people, these people that don't live up to their Christian calling, God's name is blasphemed, then through those who are good, the name of the Lord is honored. And he talks about how the Apostle Paul says, you are the aroma of Christ. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. And he says, to some people, that's an aroma unto life. And to some people, that's an aroma unto death. It's the sweet smell of life to those who, who are looking for the truth, who are looking for God. But the aroma of Christ, some people don't like it <laughs> because it reminds them of their sin. It reminds them that there is a judgment. It reminds them that there is an afterlife. And they don't like that smell. And that doesn't smell good to them. And so this is what St. Augustine says, that sweet odor is to some the savor of life. And to others, the odor of death unto death. Happy are those who find life in this sweet savor. So that's what we've got to do during this last few days before the great celebration of the Tridium. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We'll be right back after this break. 888-914-9149. If you want to react to any of this, we'll talk about Jesus in space. Yeah, I know he created space. He created everything, but he also went to space. We're going to tell you about that real soon, right after this break. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. Now, an episode of Jesus in Space, starring Kale Clark of The Kale Clark Show. That's right. You can probably feel yourself floating right now, weightless. Well, the wait is over. That's a terrible segue. I'm going to talk about Jesus in Space, as I've been promising to do uh, during this hour. Now, today NASA had a, had a wonderful announcement, and it's kind of amazing to think about this. It's been more than 50 years since humans have flown to the moon. Uh, and you kind of wonder, why, why, the, why has it been so long? Why has it been over half a century? That was the thing to do back in the 60s, of course, the space race, late 50s and 60s, the race between the Soviets and the Americans to be the first on the moon. And NASA today revealed the astronauts who are going to be on Artemis II and they're going to go to the moon. And there are Reed Wiseman, Christina Koch, Victor Glover, Americans. And there is one Canadian. Oh, Canada. Jeremy Hansen from London, Ontario. Uh, he's going to be, uh, he's a fighter pilot uh, from Canada who will be uh, also on the team. Of course, great collaboration between Canada and the United States on space stuff. Um, the great Canada arm, as it were, that helps to pick up things and work on the space station. But anyways... Yeah, for the first time, more than half a century. It's amazing. This this um, announcement took place, of course, at Mission Control in Houston. And uh, humans uh, 
haven't gotten uh, too far off the planet since the return of Apollo 17, way back in 1972. That was NASA's last moon mission. Wow. Unreal. And I know Elon Musk wants to get humans interplanetary and wants to put up a colony on Mars, but maybe we should get back to the moon first. And uh, that's what uh, NASA's, I think, trying to do here. And so they want to eventually get to Mars, but what they want to do right now at the moon, you might be wondering why do they need to go back there? Well, they're going to go to this to the south pole of the moon, and, and we'll talk about what they're, what they're looking for in, in just a second. They want to get to the cold regions near the south uh, pole of the moon because um, water and ice that's found in deep, dark craters there, it could supply, according to the New York Times, could supply water and oxygen for future astronauts and help to fuel deeper missions into space. So I guess it could kind of be like a galactic gas station of sorts, if you will, on the way maybe to a place like Mars. So that's that's down the road. But um, the four astronauts, by the way, they're, they're not actually going to land on the moon. They're going to take a 10-day journey that's going to swing around the moon and eventually come back to Earth. There is one surviving astronaut from Apollo 17 that's still alive. His name is Harrison Schmidt. And Harrison Schmidt said this, quote, It's an exciting time for the Artemis people, no question about it. And then he also said this. He said that a lot of people didn't, quote, fully realize that we're about three generations away from any experience with human beings being in deep space. And that's probably the most important part of the mission, end of quote. By the way, he's also a former U.S. senator from New Mexico. How about that? And he, he, he did say, uh, he was quoted in the New York Times as saying that he was very disappointed that it's taken so long to get astronauts back out in outer space. And he said that a lot of things kind of conspired to stop the Apollo program and uh, kind of shut it down uh, until now, until now. So th this is uh, quite a step. And it uh, begs to, I don't know if any of these, these present astronauts who are going to go up there are in fact, Catholics, but Catholic astronauts have been in space before. Back in 2020, you might remember this. I did a story about astronaut Michael Hopkins, who in 2013 brought Jesus into outer space. Now, how did he do this? Through the Eucharist, of course. And, and that was just a really, really cool story. And, and if you go online, you can find uh, tons of information about Michael Hopkins. And uh, he, he recently has been working with Elon Musk in the SpaceX program, um, did a voyage to the space station back in 2020 with SpaceX. But back in 2013, he went on a Russian craft. Now, these collaborations obviously are not happening right now. But he was part of a crew that got onto a Russian spacecraft and went to the International Space Station back in 2013. Now, at the time, Michael Hopkins was a recent convert to Catholicism. And he was like, well, I don't want to be up there for so long, for six months without the nourishment, the spiritual nourishment that I could get from the Eucharist. Now, it's a really, really tough thing to get permission to take the Eucharist into space, but he was able to do it. His parish priest helped him out, got the necessary paperwork done, because normally you can't administer the Eucharist to yourself. Uh, however, uh, that's what he did. He just took a pix, almost like an extraordinary minister of communion might take uh, the Eucharist, or a priest, or a bishop, or a deacon might take the Eucharist to a sick person in the hospital. It's a, it's a little golden container. And he was able to take a small pix up into outer space. There were six hosts, 
and he split them up into four each, so he had 24 opportunities to receive our, our Eucharistic Lord while in outer space in orbit. That's really cool. And of course, uh, no problem that, that, that the Eucharist was um, divided from six hosts into 24 because the Church teaches that even a crumb of the Eucharist contains the entire Christ. And I, and I remember uh, saying this uh, to my wife. I remember our first date, me and, me and Trish, the first date I ever had with Trish, we, I was talking about this. I was just so amazed by it. I'd recently come back into the church. And she said, that's, that's when I knew that he was husband material. I said, wow, Catholic pickup lines, who knew? So guys, you got to know your Eucharistic teaching. Anyways, um, Michael, Michael Hopkins cleared all the hurdles with the Russian Space Agency and, and got all this permission to bring the Eucharist into outer space. It was really cool because when he was on the space station and he was looking out onto, onto planet Earth, he was like, man, this, this is kind of like a gigantic tabernacle, just being in what's called the cupola, the large window in the space station that looks out and down on planet Earth. He said, man, that's an incredible moment. It was, it was like an intergalactic tabernacle. So cool, a monstrance encircling planet Earth. But, and I thought that he was the first person to do this, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Last month, our good friend, Christine Roussel, who is now writing for foxnews.com, did a piece about another astronaut that actually did this back in 1994. I didn't even know about this. Now, this one has been turned into a children's book called Jesus in Space. By Cecilia Ciccone. And so this is this is a really, really amazing story. And we'll put up a link to this, by the way, uh, on our show notes, in our show notes, uh, the link to the story by Christine Roussel of Fox News. And hey, Christine, I know you're listening right now. Great work on this piece and, and all your good work. And so, yeah, there's a new children's book about this. And it was such a hot seller last month that actually sold out on Amazon. I think it's now back in stock uh, but it, it's called Jesus in Space, A True Story That's Out of This World by Cecilia Ciccone. And uh, Christine Roussel interviewed Cecilia, and it's all about Dr. Tom Jones. Now, he was a NASA astronaut who did this in 1994 on the Endeavour Space Shuttle mission. And th this is a, just, just an incredibly um, cool story because I had no idea that way back in the 1990s, an astronaut had also brought our Eucharistic Lord into outer space. And so... Uh, Cecilia Ciccone, who wrote the book, Jesus in Space, she actually read uh, Tom Jones's uh, memoir called Skywalking, an astronaut's memoir. That came out in 2006, and that kind of inspired her to write this children's book. And she kind of double-checked everything with him. She wrote it about three years ago, and it recently got published, and she double-checked everything with Dr. Jones himself, the astronaut. And he was like, yep, yep, this is totally legit. And uh, that made her feel a lot better about it. And it all starts with how he got trained as an astronaut, and it goes all the way up to when he learns he's been picked to join the Endeavour Space Mission as a mission specialist. And he, in, in the book, it talks about how he thanks Jesus for the chance to use the gifts that God gave him to help people. And that's something that we all have to really pay heed to, that, that Christ has given us all certain gifts. Not all of us are going to become astronauts, but he has given us all gifts of time, talent, and treasure, and we've got to be good stewards of those things. And so uh, he kept going to mass, kept praying uh, before he blasted off. But he, he actually, his mission commander told him, hey, it's, it's actually possible for you to receive Holy Communion while you're in space. 
And so he actually brought up three hosts in, in a PIX uh, into space in 1994. And uh, there were three Catholic astronauts on this particular journey. Not only Tom Jones, but Sidney Gutierrez and Kevin Chilton. Kevin Chilton was also uh, up there with him. And they received the Eucharist while orbiting the Earth on April the 7th, 1994. And by the way... You're not going to believe this, but joining me on the line now, it is Harrison Schmidt himself, the Apollo 17 astronaut who I just was talking about. Sir, thank you, and welcome to the program. Thanks for calling in. Great, uh, and we really enjoy your show, Cale. That's just great. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. I never imagined when I mentioned you earlier that you actually were a listener to the program. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I don't get it all, but I uh, and we... Uh, I still, I'm still active working, so I can't listen all the time. But you, you're doing a wonderful job. Patrick does a wonderful job. Everybody does great. Oh, well, thank you so much, sir. Really appreciate you, Harrison Smith, Apollo 17 astronaut, former U.S. senator, is on the line with me right now. And so, can you just tell me personally what what, what was your reaction when you first heard about the new mission to the moon, orbiting the moon? Well, I, you know, we. Uh, uh, Apollo 8 orbited the moon. Uh, well, actually, Apollo 8 went into orbit around the moon, and mm -hmm. uh, Bill Anders uh, was Catholic on that mission. He was probably the first of the Apollo astronauts. I'd have to go back and check the Catholic astronauts uh, uh, to fly. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the mission that uh, Artemis 2 is going to have is going to be significantly different than the Apollo 8 mission mm -hmm. because they will they're going to go around the moon and back to earth without actually going into lunar orbit uh, the uh, uh, it's an important mission if only because it's going to give the ground people a chance to get more experience in flying mm -hmm. in the of the moon deep space is is an unforgiving environment, and uh, we, as Apollo astronauts, were very dependent on having uh, thousands of people on Earth looking after yeah. our systems and uh, really helping us manage the uh, the operations. Uh, a lot was done on board, but uh, we we really needed those folks, and and having the experience of working in, uh, with a crew in deep space is going to be very very important. Oh, absolutely. Harrison Schmidt is joining me uh, from his home in New Mexico, former U.S. Senator and also Apollo 17 astronaut. And, and, you, and you, as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Schmidt, as you were talking to the New York Times, that you were, you, you're kind of disappointed that it's taken so long for this to happen. It's been over 50 years uh, since a journey to the moon. What, what do you think are some of the reasons why this has not happened over the past half century? Oh, I, there are just so many... Uh uh, issues that uh, came up in the time frame of Apollo, uh, not only the Cold War, but uh, many other issues that had to be dealt with mm -hmm. politically. And also, I think the, the media tended to get a little bit disinterested, and so the information reaching the American public was not as extensive as it was early in Apollo. But you also have to realize that... Uh, Human exploration has always gone in sort of pulses, hmm. and uh, so it's probably not surprising that it's been fifty years. Yeah, that that that's that's probably true. And and what what are your thoughts on a possible 
one day a human colony on Mars. Is it is it sustainable? Is it is it possible in the next century? What what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think uh, a, a settlement on the moon, permanent settlement on the moon, uh, producing resources not only that can be used here on Earth, uh, principally energy resources, but also uh, resources that can be used in space. That's very likely within the next uh, few decades. And uh, and Mars has all the resources necessary to sustain uh, a settlement there. So uh, I think both the moon and Mars will gradually uh, and maybe uh, not so gradually now in, in the present move into the uh, Earth, Moon, Mars sphere of, of activity. It's, it's going to be an exciting time for future generations. What an exciting time to be alive. I'm talking to Apollo 17 astronaut Harrison Schmidt. And, and sir, well, let, let me ask you about how, how your own journey into space, how did that affect your faith? How, how did, it, did it change the way you looked at life, at creation? Kayla, okay, well, I, th- I think the main thing it did was to create uh, a very, very strong feeling in me, reinforce the feeling I guess I already have since I was out there in just what human beings can do when they put their minds to it. Wow. And particularly young young human beings, young Americans made this happen. There were 400, maybe as many as 450,000 people directly involved, involved in Apollo and their families, of course, involved in Apollo as well. And that uh, that really was a, made me a very much an optimist about what can happen in the future. Let me ask you this, uh, Mr. Schmidt. Do you, do, you th- do you think that this is going to fire up young people to, to do that, to think more about space exploration? It hasn't been on the forefront of people's minds over the last little while. Maybe part of that is this, this 50-year gap uh, between Apollo 17 and this new mission to the moon that's going to happen. Do you, do you, do you think it's going to happen again? Do you think young people can get fired up? And if there's anybody listening who's out there, who is a young person who's maybe thinking about a career in this field, what would you say to them? Well, there are going to be almost an infinite number of careers possible. And in fact, um, a lot of young people are very, very interested and very active in this field, and particularly in the private sector. Uh, That is covered uh, as extensively by the national media, so you may not hear about it, but I'm very active in the private sector in space-related activities. There are many, many people. There's a lot of investment going on Hmm. in private sector activities related to space and particularly uh, to the moon right now. And you also have to realize that the private sector has been involved in space for a long time. Communication satellites are a thing of uh, existence now. Uh, GPS, uh, uh, position uh, sensing from orbit is something we take for granted. So, and That's all true. of that is done within the private sector. So, uh, there are young people involved. Uh, SpaceX, for example, is a very good example of what young people can do again and do very quickly in developing uh, very large launch vehicles. Uh, the same for Blue Origin uh, uh-huh. and and other companies that are really active in uh, deep space as well as nearer space. And, and, they're, and they're populated principally by young people. Uh, it's just that not as, the government is not the only player now as they were uh, during Apollo. Yeah, that's that such a good point. That's such a great point that the private sector, and that's something we don't often think about, they are just as involved in this type of exploration as 
say space forces and that's incredible mr schmidt could you could you could you hang on the line with me i have to take a quick break here can you can you hang with me for a moment on the ko clark show surely okay fantastic we'll be right back with apollo 17 astronaut harrison schmidt right after this break it's the ko clark show on relevant radio explaining the catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too it's kale clark on relevant radio Hey, welcome back to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. We were talking about Jesus in space. We were talking about astronauts bringing the Eucharist into space. We talked about NASA and how today they announced Artemis II, a new mission to the moon, the first one since Apollo 17 back in 1972. And wouldn't you know it, Harrison Schmidt from Apollo 17, Apollo 17 astronaut, calls into the program. He is with me now. And Mr. Schmidt, once again, thank you so much for calling in, sir. What a treat to be able to... It's not every day that an astronaut calls into the Kale Clark Show, but we're so glad that you're with us right now. Well, it should be every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really should be. And, and just before the break, we were talking about how, and you made a great point about how it's not just the government. It's not just government space programs that are happening now. It's the private sector. It's Blue Origin. It's Jeff Bezos. It's SpaceX. It's Elon Musk. Have you ever met any of those two guys and if so, what are, what are your thoughts on them? I have not met uh, uh, Mr. Musk. I have uh, actually worked for Blue Origin uh, in the past and, wow. and have met, uh, I've been on an advisory committee with them uh, in the past and uh, have met uh, Mr. Bezos very well. What, what, do, you, what do you think the, the, the state going forward will be of commercial space travel? Well, I think it's going to be a very, very important part of our future. Uh, uh, the, the government's involvement is, is, uh, is important because of its geopolitical implications. Mm. Uh, but uh, I think the, the, the basic activities of human beings in space will be increasingly led by the commercial sector. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. Is Virgin Galactic still a player in this space, or uh, as far as I know, I guess they've had some difficulties, but uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not close to them at all. Okay, all right. Harrison Schmidt is my guest on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio Triple Eight Nine One Four Nine One Four Nine. And I have to ask you this: What, what are your plans for for Holy Week this week? Oh well, we we uh, I'll be going to mass with my wife uh, on Easter. We uh, we have a very special set of, uh, of meals that we put together. Mm. Uh, it is uh, it is an extraordinarily important week in our lives. Oh, abs- absolutely, as as it is for all of us here. And and uh, Mr. Schmidt, I, I have to say, what an honor it is to to be talking to you today. And I'm so glad that you called in. Please call back anytime. And we'll certainly be praying for you and your family for this Easter. And uh, thank you so much for giving us all the the extra insight, the uh, <laughs> truly inside baseball on the space program. You were a part of it. Apollo 17 astronaut, Harrison Schmidt, thank you for taking the time and for calling in today. God bless you. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing with Relevant Radio. It's really, really important. Oh, well, I, I, I'm so grateful to hear you say that. that that's, that's incredible. Thank you once again. Harrison Schmidt, former U.S. Senator from New Mexico, former Apollo 17 astronaut, calling in. He's still involved. He's still in the game. He's still excited about space and what can be had out there, the final frontier. And, and 
so many things are going to happen in our lifetime going forward that we haven't even thought about yet. And and it's exciting to hear about the NASA announcement today, Artemis II, and all the great things that are going to happen with the space program going forward. After a period of a, a lull of several decades, it's now in the forefront of everybody's mind. And you never know who's listening to Relevant Radio. You never know who's listening to The Cable Clark Show. Wow, what a treat. Uh, that's certainly a highlight for me that's out of this world. Harrison Schmidt was just on the program. Let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Andre in Hanford, California. Hi, Andre. Hey, Kale. Uh, thanks so much for taking my call. That was fascinating having the astronaut on before me. But I wanted to get your take on something that's kind of been puzzling me a little bit in sure, the past couple yeah. weeks as I've been doing my studying on the Passion. So the alleged crime that Jesus ended up getting condemned to death for was blasphemy, right? And that mm-hmm. would have been punishable by stoning to death. So why did the Jewish Jewish religious leaders actually need to get the Roman authorities involved to execute Jesus? The scriptures tell us that, you know, because the Romans were occupying, the the Jewish people were, like, conquered by the Romans, they didn't have authority to carry out the executions. But I see evidence that they were stoning people, like the woman caught in adultery, they were about to stone her to death. They ended up stoning Stephen to death after the resurrection of the Lord. And then we hear several accounts of them trying to even stone Jesus earlier in the Gospels in his ministries and trying to throw him off a cliff and stuff like that. So, again, why was it actually that the Jewish religious leaders needed to get the Roman authorities involved to execute Jesus? Well, you know, part of your question, I'm going to have to get back to you later on on part of it, because you are correct. The line that you normally hear is that they didn't have the authority to kill anybody. Well, how, how in the world, then, was Stephen stoned to death? Is it kind of a rogue event? where the passions were just so strong, we got to take this guy out. They didn't think about it. They didn't think about the repercussions. Because this, this is what you hear. And, and the case of the woman caught in adultery, that's another good example to bring up. But what you normally hear is that they had no authority to kill anyone. Only the Romans could possibly do that. So they have to bring them up on some political charge as well. And we, we do know this. We do know that Pilate and Caiaphas, the high priest, they, they worked together extremely closely. Uh, they were certainly in cahoots. And this is part of, I think, Jesus' issue uh, with the establishment, the temple establishment, not only their avariciousness, not only their, their greed, uh, but they simply were, were just, you know, they were, they were in a little bit too tight politically, I think. <laughs> There's certainly no such thing as separation of church and state. Uh, back in those days. And so Pilate, we do know this from the history books, that he had a lot of issues. Um, There were some incidents in his career in which he was pretty heavy-handed putting down some revolts uh, of the Jewish people. And he was on a very short leash uh, in Rome. And uh, soon after, he was deposed, by the way, and called out of the position. Uh, It wasn't too long after that that Caiaphas also, uh, his reign came to an end. And that, that is not coincidental that is not coincidental at all. Um, by the way, it's, it's, it's important to understand that Pilate is a historical character. There are a lot of people that question whether or not he's a real historical personage. They think he's simply made up by the gospel writers. That, that's not true. In the 1960s, the very famous Pontius Pilate stone was discovered at Caesarea Maritima. Some Italian archaeologists were walking in the, in the great uh, theater that Herod the Great had built, and it was called Caesars by the Sea. Think, think, think Vegas on steroids. Uh, he really wanted to be seen as uh, an elite Romanish emperor, 
and uh, Herod the Great had this great seaside town built with a hippodrome and all kinds of stuff. And as these archaeologists are walking in the theater, they're walking up the step, and one of the steps gave way under their feet. And they just thought, well, for fun, let's just turn it over and see if there's anything on the other side. It's a good thing they did because they found an inscription from the first century about Pontius Pilate and how he had done so many great things. It was actually shipped in from elsewhere in the empire. He'd given a great gift uh, to a town. And, it, and it, you, you can see this, by the way. This is in the Jesus exhibit in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. It's in the Jesus of Nazareth section. So if you're ever on a Holy Land pilgrimage, maybe I'll get to take you there one day. Uh, you can see this along with, by the way, the bone box of Caiaphas. So these two who kind of teamed up in the death of Jesus uh, posthumously, relics of theirs are together in this exhibit. It's uh, yeah, He was a real guy, and so was Jesus. We'll talk much more about that in Holy Week as we get going. My thanks to astronaut Harrison Schmidt from Apollo 17 who joined me earlier in the program. This is Kale Clark. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. God bless you. See you tomorrow. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>